So here's the question. How do active people in the Des Moines area stay pain-free and live the active, fulfilled life that they deserve at any age? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. I'm Ryan Domeyer, and welcome to the Rev Health Radio Podcast. Welcome back to the Rev Health Radio Podcast. Dr. Ryan here today. We have a special guest, Allison Pete from Within Wellness, Mindfulness Meditation is joining us. Allison, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. So she is super nervous to do a podcast, which is funny because she's a great speaker. Uh, but we want to talk about all things breathing. Allison has a, a pretty cool history we're going to talk about of how she got into breathing, how she helps people with mindfulness, and how breathing can really help someone be more mindful. So let's start by giving a brief introduction, and then we'll talk about what you do every day. Allison, sure. tell me your background. How did you get to where you are now? Oh, good question. So I have a corporate background. Um, I was in sales and marketing and event planning, um, which I think was a big portion of my stress. So I was um, under a lot of stress with small children. I think they were about two and four at the time. And I was the source of a lot of my stress. I have very much a type A personality, um, a very much a striver, always raising the bar on myself. I would, uh, I would hit a goal and then I'm like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Um, never stop to congratulate myself, always striving to do better. And it was taking a toll. So I, um, I struggled with anxiety, um, especially after my children were born. Um, struggled with uh, postpartum depression after my children were born and was kind of in a dark place. So um, I, I, know, I knew that I needed to help myself. I spent a lot of time running <laughs> and that helped for a while until I injured myself. And then um, I, one of my best friends um, was taking the mindfulness-based stress reduction course. It's a 42-year-old program. Um, back, she, she got to take it for free at the University of Iowa. And she is very much very similar personality as me. And she's like, you might need to take this. I was telling her about um, you know, what I was going through, my symptoms. And um, I heard stress reduction. I am not sure if I even knew what mindfulness was at the time. I used to take yoga as, a, as an exercise class to strengthen and stretch. And the hardest part of yoga for me at that time, this was about nine years ago or so, was the shavasana or lying on the back at the end, right? My mind would go crazy. And I'm like, why are we doing this? What, what, what are we doing? Um, I need to get on to the next thing. So um, I said, stress reduction, I need that. Took it within the, it's an eight week course, within the first month, um, my physical manifestations of anxiety were well reduced. Um, I've made life changes changes as well, but um, within that time frame, um, I, I had this amazing thought that maybe I could teach this someday. And I went through that negative self-critic on, no, you're not smart enough. You would have to go back to school. Um, there's, there's, you have small children. You have a lot of responsibility. You could never do that. You're working full time. How would that How would that happen? I spent a, a couple years kind of figuring out like, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Is this really what I want to be doing? And my work was actually a big part of my stress. So I decided to to jump in um, UMass and and now Brown University both accepted me to do the mindfulness based stress reduction training. Um, now I'm a certified trainer. It, it takes anywhere from three to five years to get certified. 
Um, it's a way of living. It's not just a little workshop that you get to take. Um, you have to do long, silent retreats, meditation retreats. So I've done anywhere from five to seven to ten day long, silent mindfulness retreats. So we walk the talk. We walk the talk. We we appreciate um, that uh, sense of of really living while we're actually here. So. Um, yeah, I, I think I think still I'm still the only certified instructor in Des Moines, and maybe just one of a handful in Iowa. Um, so yeah, I, I've taught for the last I'm in my seventh year of training, so I've taught hundreds of of um, of people in my MBSR course, mindfulness based stress reduction. About eighty percent of my um, students that graduate they reduce their stress by about 36%. So that's about an average. So some are way more and some are less, but that's pretty good to reduce your stress by about 36% in eight weeks. That's pretty good. It's, that's really good, yeah. especially the holistic way, because I yes. think the most common, especially in America right now, is most people suffer with depression, anxiety of some way, shape or form. And it's right. easy to go to the doctor and get a pill, pill prescribed and take that every day. Yeah. I've seen people with tons of side effects from it, even musculoskeletal side effects. Mm -hmm. You offer a different approach, which takes a lot more work. Right. And like you said, it's you practice what you preach and it's a way of living mm -hmm. more so. Tell me more about that. What, what changes when you start to work with someone for stress reduction? Is more about awareness? Of course, it probably includes breathing. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that works when you work with someone for stress reduction. Sure, yeah. So they realize that they have way more thoughts than they realized. So it's it's kind of the metaphor of like being within traffic, like when you're in your car and you're you're going the speed limit and it's like, oh yeah, we're fine. There's I'm going along with everybody else. But then if you ever have to sit on the side of the road, say your car breaks down and these cars are going so fast, so that's very similar of noticing all the thinking. We have such overwhelming thoughts sometimes. And with mindfulness, it's actually being able to not stop the thoughts because that's not possible. It's actually creating a different relationship to our thinking mind and actually getting underneath into the vast realm of intelligence that our bodies have that doesn't include thinking, right? Meditation, it's, this is a joke, but it's actually very real. It's like meditation, it's not what you think. It's really not what you think. It's not about thinking. It's about getting underneath that and, and realizing that, wow, there's more to me than just how I can think and what I do think. And you're right. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of practice around breathing because in the mindfulness realm, it's much more about a passive type of an observation and building awareness of my breath, but also what you've, what you've been kind of alluding to with through breathing is we can also change it as well, right? So it's not just a training of attention by letting your attention rest on breathing, which is a present moment oriented type of an anchor. Even that can change our breath. It's just letting our thoughts have its own life and not getting so sucked away by the mental content and the noise. It's actually, once we actually feel our own breathing and just give ourselves some time and space to feel that, the body relaxes naturally, right? So the other thing is the flip side of breathing is that we can actually tap into a little bit of our nervous system to balance that autonomic nervous system as well. I'm going to tell you how I use breathing in my, phys in my practice, yeah. and it probably ties in with what you do as well, because say I use breathing as a inhibition technique. So say I'm trying to get someone to move better. Say I want them to get their spine rotating more. I'll get them to their end range. I'll have them take a deep breath in 
and then relax it and they can get more range. So think of it like a contract relax, kind of like when you yawn and you contract a muscle, it reflexively tells the brain to relax that muscle. That's how I use even just breathing muscles to affect musculoskeletal changes of, wow, your spine doesn't rotate. Let's get to the end range, breathe in, breathe out, we get more range. We keep doing that. And while I'm not purposely thinking about what's happening in the brain, other than inhibition, that's how I use breathing in a physical practice. You use it more as a mindful, more awareness practice. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm picking up on of taking our going from unconscious breathing, which we can kind of start on that breathing is something literally every human does. It's what makes us human. And 99.9% of the times we don't think about it. It's just something that happens in the background. Mm -hmm. But when we conscious breathe, can you allude to what happens when we do conscious breathing Mm -hmm. versus unconscious breathing? Mm -hmm. Right. So it is awareness. Awareness is the first piece because we can't change anything that we're not aware of. And it also has um, something to do with, you probably know this way more than me, is the vagus nerve, mm-hmm. right? So the vagal tone. So the vagus nerve is, the, the word vagus is Latin for to wander. And the vagus nerve wanders all throughout the body. And specifically, I know the most of, um, with how it interacts with our diaphragm. And so it, it, it has its um, nerve endings in Um, parts of our body that we have no control over like heart rate digestion but it also has nerve endings in the diaphragm which like you said we breathe thousands of times a day and we don't have to think about it but we actually have control over our breathing we have consciousness of our breathing so that we can change the breath in a way to balance the state of our nervous system and I think that's what you're kind of talking about with the word inhibition, I'm kind of curious of that word of inhibition, meaning inhibition, like I don't want to move past this point. Is that what you mean by think inhibition? About, think of inhibition as far as like turning off. So most things are restricted due to muscle tone or even just joint tightness. So I'm trying to get the muscle tone down by taking a deep breath. And then the brain sends a signal down to tell the muscle to relax, to allow us to move more. Oh, okay. And yes. so it's thinking more parasympathetic. It's yeah. down regulation. It's inhibition from that side. Because I was going to touch on that with breathing. Of You're exactly right. Of The vagus nerve is either the flight or fight. The flight or fl- flight. <laughs> Sympathetic, revved up, or parasympathetic, down regulated. It sounds like when it comes to stress and anxiety, most people have a hard time down regulating. Right. They, they're parasympathetic. Their vagus nerve doesn't work as well. We, as Americans, typically outsource it. It's the bottle of wine is way exactly. easier to downregulate yes. versus <laughs> taking a couple very deep breaths, which right. will in turn downregulate, versus upregulation or the sympathetic side also affects the diaphragm, like you said. When something, when we feel a sense of stress, when we feel anxiety, fear, mm-hmm. that gets revved up. And mm-hmm. when we chronically do that, it's chronically elevated, mm-hmm. which leads to more anxiety, stress as well. So it's the, exactly. it's the balance. And most Americans live in that sympathetic state of the fear of the unknown. Right. We have threats around when in reality, we live a pretty easy life compared to most humans for the past thousands of years. Like most of us don't have a lot of threats to our life on mm-hmm. a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. but our brain is always seeking something as a threat. Exactly. And it sounds like you bring awareness to that as help how you help stress reduction is that what i'm picking up on yeah absolutely yep and it's also i think is fascinating with the breath is that the inhale what you're talking about the inhale is associated with the sympathetic nervous system you think about when you get surprised or shocked we go (gasps) Mm. and we breathe in through the mouth right 
which is good. It's a good thing. It, we need to have that response, fight or flight. It's not like it's bad. A lot of people think, oh, this is a bad thing. But it's a protective mechanism. We need it, right? So the inhale is associated with sympathetic or the gas. Exhale is associated with parasympathetic or the break. And so that's what you're doing with your patients is you're having them breathe in, hopefully through the nostrils, right? And then exhale, engaging your parasympathetic nervous system, telling your body that you're in a sense of safety, you know, engaging your vagus nerve, increasing that vagal tone so that the body is like, oh, okay, I can actually have a little bit of sense of safety. So then that makes your job a lot easier, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it makes someone more relaxed. It's, yeah. it makes a stretching sucks. I, I'm one of the physical therapists that stretching is boring. I have clients do it. It's very effective at decreasing muscle tone and getting people moving better. It's more effective when we either contract the muscle and relax with the stretch or breathe at end range, mm-hmm. I've found. It makes mm-hmm. it, and maybe it is more of a, I, I prescribe that to people often, and maybe it's because it's activating, like we just talked about before the call, it's getting them more aware, it's activating their frontal part of the brain where they're just more aware of the stretch. Right. First, if you're just doing a muscle stretch, it's just boring. After 10 seconds, you're like, this is stupid, why am I doing this? I'm yeah. gonna go do my next thing. Yeah, right. So it's bringing awareness to getting people move better, and maybe that's what's helping as well. So tell me, how does it work? So I know you have a, a course coming up, an eight-week course. So it's about an eight-week cycle you take clients through. Like, how does that work? Is it individual, one-on-one? How do you work with people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the eight-week course is group, a group session. It meets once a week um, for about two and a half hours. And then there's also home practice that's assigned. Um, and then... And usually in between week six and seven, there is an all-day silent retreat that students get to um, live a day in whatever way they choose through all of these practices that um, that we engage in. And so they would be living a day anyway, right? They'd be sitting, they'd be walking, they'd be eating, um, they'd be moving. And it's an opportunity to bring more awareness, to bring more attention to what you're doing while you're doing it. And we purposefully have it silent because you're not having all these conversations, you're not having all these extra thoughts because because of it. It's this, you know, letting this proverbial hamster wheel kind of roll out and not have so much stimulus. And what arises from that? What arises from you having a day of just being with your emotions, being with your thoughts, and 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 having um, more of an experience of like just living this this life just today. So it's a very transformative experience. It's um, what I've noticed over the years of having group classes is that people really realize that they're not alone, right? We tend to self-isolate. We tend to have lots of self-critical thinking, thoughts that I'm not good enough. I'm the only person that has this. And we come together in a very heterogeneous group and realize that, wow, there's other people that experience even more stress than I do. And this is how we actually work together to have a, a better quality of life, better coping skills. People actually start to realize that they, they don't have to necessarily believe everything they think. So that's the other piece of this is that once when we become lost and hijacked by mental content and noise, I feel like that's when we really get stressed and really get anxious which affects our breathing, right? Going back to the breath. It's, I feel like it's all about the breath anymore. It goes back to our breathing because when we do get stressed, we start to breathe through the mouth. We start to breathe shallowly because that's helping our body to mount a response. And when we do that chronically over time, that becomes habitual. 
back to the conversation we were talking about of are we doing this consciously or are we doing this unconsciously? Is this getting is this this habit getting laid down in the unconscious brain? And so then we it becomes habitual and then it exacerbates the stress because we continually breathe through the mouth, breathe shallowly, and overbreathe. You know, we it's literally called chronic hyperventilation. So getting back into the the the, the eight week program is um, people people just become more attuned to how does stress affect me and how can I take better care of myself over the lifespan? When, yeah, in a, in a holistic approach, which is great. Right. I want to bring, I want to actually touch on a piece because you made me a thought. It sounds like you, so it's one, like a silent day or what do you call it when they do their... Silent retreat. Silent retreat. So it's mm-hmm. like one whole day. Where That's six hours. Six hours. Yep. Ha- okay. Mm-hmm. That sounds a lot to me like... A f- when you fast with food yeah. it's basically a stimulus fast where yeah. you're like yes you, we live in a homeostasis of so much and just day to day and then you totally cut out everything yep. and it's kind of like a reset for your body that's is, exactly how I talk about <laughs> retreats it's like a reset button for our nervous system which is exactly what fasting is with food yep. it's just like what I love sauning or cold tubbing preferably sauna where we live in homeostasis and we sauna and we stress our whole body and take mm-hmm. it out of homeostasis mm-hmm. and then the recovery or me I love to lift weights I love to lift weights it's not the weightlifting that makes me stronger it's the stimulus and then the recovery from the stimulus exactly. it's what you learn during your stimulus fast mm-hmm. is probably what your clients get a lot of benefit from yeah. after they're done with that their eyes are open and like oh wow my day is filled even me of yeah I always have a podcast on or a YouTube video or something yeah. I'm listening to trying to learn something or for yeah. comedic purposes or whatever yeah. and sometimes it's just nice we we rarely get to be alone I've had some other some other people in the past even mention that as far as uh, nature therapy there's a mm. whole realm of just walking out in nature and having silence or even just ocean the ocean noise alone just the repetitive nature our brains are attuned to that right um, let's talk more about nose breathing versus mouth breathing okay are most people mouth breathers do most people breathe with their nose what what do you find with your clients that you work with when you start with them yeah just based on my general observation um, I, I think most people are nose breathers, but I think once they get to a certain level of activity, whether it's walking or, or above, then it immediately becomes mouth breathing and mm-hmm. then we start to overbreathe. So um, I, I think for the most part, just at rest, most people are nose breathers, but there has to be more. You can still be overbreathing and breathing through your nose, especially if you don't have a lot of congestion or blockages in, in the nostrils, right? So. Um, yeah, one of the biggest takeaways from, from this training, um, it's called Buteco breathing method, is that when we breathe through the nose, especially through um, physical exercise, when we continually stay under that threshold of not needing to open the mouth, when we, the, the diaphragm, or excuse me, the nose has about two to three times the resistance of the mouth. So the nose is connected to the diaphragm. So you're able to not have to overbreathe, so your carbon dioxide levels don't drop so fast, right? And so there's a, I think many, many, many people, myself included, which is why I started this um, breathing training because I noticed it in myself. I would almost drown in air when I would go for a run. I would, my mouth would open and I'm like, oh, just get so tired and so breathless, right? Like, what is this? I'm like, I'm in pretty good shape, right? Mm -hmm. So when I had to slow down for a while, but when I closed my mouth and continued to breathe through my nose, there was so much more 
energy that I had, right? There's efficiency. more efficiency, mm-hmm. exactly. So much more efficient in my work. And that's that has made all the difference, right? So um, when we breathe through our mouth, it's like a giant hole, right? Like when we breathe through the nose, if you can imagine a billiard ball, right? It's about this size. And you put that right behind your nose. That's the size of our sinuses. Like we just think sometimes our nose is just what we have in the front of our face. Mm-hmm. And we don't think so much about what is our nose actually doing? It filters the air, it warms the air, it moistens it, it conditions it so it's perfectly ready by the time it hits the back of your throat to, so your lungs can take it, right? When we're breathing through the mouth, it's there's zero filter. There's an un, unfiltered air that's going directly into the lungs. And when we breathe through the nose, that can actually help filter out it's antiviral it's antibacterial sometimes and so that's another big piece it's like the nose i tell i tell people all the time the nose is for breathing the mouth is for eating right (laughs) (laughs) that's it plain and simple i'm going to warn you and get your brain thinking when we end i'm going to end by asking for some low-hanging fruit like what are two or three like takeaways of like things you recommend that almost every person would benefit from i think nose breathing is going to be one of them because you even mentioned it before we started of i said sometimes when we get talking on a podcast or especially if i'm a solo podcast i keep talking and talking and talking i've given this cue to one of my friends lisa but when the other person is talking, take one huge nose recovery breath. Like let your just up, 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 up talking. Mm-hmm. Take one huge breath in with your nose while the other person is to recover so you're ready for the next round. That exactly. might be one thing, but I want you to think of a couple more as okay. we get going because I want to touch more on nose breathing for activity or even just, it sounds like does nose breathing lead to better down regulation than parasympathetic release because the vagus system release because it is more efficient because the air is more humid do you do you notice that when you have someone say yep you need to do some breathing focus on just nose breathing or do you go in with the nose out with the mouth when we're trying to decompress or stress level that is a good question because i've had so many clients ask me about breathing so it's in through the nose and they've always heard out through the mouth Mm -hmm. And I'd really like to get your take on this too. Um, I I think at rest we should always be the mouth should be closed. We should always be breathing through the nose and breathing diaphragmatically, breathing low, slow with the diaphragm. Um, that is going to counteract the deep sighs, the yawns, all the things that we do to you know the body's just trying to self-regulate, right? So after after exercise, I think that it should that the nasal breathing once when you're continually in control of your breathing that that would help that parasympathetic nervous system drive so that you're more in balance right the exhale through the mouth i've I've always been curious and i would love to where did that come from i don't know where has it come (laughs) from? i have no clue you don't know either. (laughs) no i have no clue either i've just heard that from when i was a kid it's maybe just one of those things we learn when I don't know why it's why it's like that, but it's like I don't know who thought of that, but it's not doesn't really make any sense physiologically. We were just uh, the thing I think of is uh, when one of my basketball coaches, when we do sprint drills, he would yell at us for bending over and like hunching over to our knees because he said we we would recover faster if we're upright with yeah. our hands up over our head. Yes, I've seen some research that that's just outright wrong. And if you think about it from gravity, when we're bent over, 
gravity is less on our lungs. We can go up and down easier at a bent over position than being upright when we have to go against gravity to go yep. up and down for our lungs. Because I wanted to send that research article and tell me it was wrong. <laughs> every coach is like, get your hands off your knees. It's yes. a sign of weakness. And I'm yes. like, actually, there you can breathe better with your hands on your knees and you can recover faster because it can take from a gravity position to a gravity lessened position with your lungs. But maybe that's just one of those things that we're just learned, that we're yeah, just taught. But yeah, breathe in with your or nose, out with your mouth. Or a sign of weakness, right? Like maybe that had to do with, you know, the bent over thing is like those people were using their wisdom of their body to be like, my body wants to do this. Yeah, Listening. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Let me, let me recover. Mm -hmm. But then no, that's more of like, that doesn't look right to me from mm -hmm. the outside. And so that coach was like, no, you stand up straight. Uh, That's yeah, I'll, and we can get back to in with the nose, out with the mouth. I, I teach mouth breathing when it comes to performance. So especially with someone who lifts weights. When you're going to be under a heavy load, yeah. like yes, I want you to in maximum inhale, which I know will maximum inhale more with our mouth, and breathe if they have a weightlifting belt on, teaching people to breathe out like a full cylinder. Most people breathe forward with their belly. I right. want their rib cage to expand in the back for yes. back protection. Say you like to lift weights, so I'm like, no, you need to mouth breathe and get that full expansion. Mm. That's what protects your back when you want to lift something heavy. Right. So yes, you you can't just nose breathe there. It's in and then a huge breath in. And then as far as at the bottom position, then we do a heavy exhale. So we go inhale down when and then when we do a heavy exhale, say in the bottom of the squat, then we exhale fully to help us bounce out of the bottom position is usually yeah. my breathing training is That's in that is usually in the weightlifting realm yeah. when it comes to mouth breathing from that aspect for people yeah. that like to lift really heavy stuff well that makes total sense yeah. though too with the mouth because then you're recruiting as much of the diaphragm as possible and mm -hmm. when you have a strong diaphragm you have more better functional movement mm -hmm. at the same time too right yep and then when it comes to neck pain or even just chronic neck pain stress like almost all of us have then i go mouth breathing because i'm like especially i see people chronically that just ribcage breathe and i'm like yeah. no wonder your neck's tight we can stretch your stretch your neck to the bejesus but it's not going to do anything if you breathe like that all the time yeah take a deep tummy breath with your nose only it's mm -hmm. kind of the two different facets i will use breathing with people sure. of like yes you need your when we breathe our ribcage our body is inclined to be in a stressful state it's sympathetically aware hence why your neck is tight all the time and hence why you get headaches wow. so yes we can address your neck tightness and all that but if your ribcage if you're only breathing with your ribcage mm -hmm. like we're never going to really get to the root of the problem here right. so it's like yeah just teach a couple tummy breaths and Let's work on stretching your neck out and get you stronger in your shoulder blades and et cetera, all my other stuff that I work on with people. Yeah. Uh, that's how I will use nose breathing versus nose versus mouth. But from what you're telling me, people just day to day should be breathing with their nose, like at rest. That may be one of our big takeaways today Absolutely. is try that. Try just closing your mouth and just breathing with your nose when you're working on something. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people will just intuitively breathe with their mouth. Will that eventually lead to like more sleep apnea, stuff like that? Have you seen anything in that realm or not necessarily been through there, been through that with breathing? Um, we, I do teach, um, yes, you should always have your mouth closed because, you know, there's not a lot of control that we have when we're actually asleep, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times the, the mouth falls open, the tongue falls away from the roof of the mouth. That's maybe another thing that I, I've learned over a takeaway that what you're asking about, what would be some of the things that would be um, takeaways for this would be to keep your tongue against the roof of your mouth too, mm -hmm. right? So many people, their lips are closed, 
but they have no idea where their tongue is, right? So the tongue is like a scaffolding for the top roof of the mouth, right? So if your tongue is up in the roof of the mouth, then you're not going to be snoring. If your tongue is low, it's, there's more liable to fall back into the airway, right? Mm -hmm. So at rest, Yes, like what you're just saying. If you're not talking, your, your mouth should be closed. The tongue should be up against the roof of the mouth. Correct, that's the correct tongue posture. Breathing through the nose. And that helps us with sleep. So when we don't get good sleep, the next day we're more stressed out. It affects our emotions. And again, we go into this vicious cycle, right? So that's, I think, another big one is, um, is tongue against the roof of the mouth. Also, speaking of inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the mouth, the other piece of this parasympathetic tone is the length of your exhale as well. Mm -hmm. So that's another piece of this is, yes, you could exhale through the mouth, but we're able to purse the lips, right? You don't have to have any fancy equipment or anything. You just, as, if you purse your lips and as, as if you're um, blowing on a pinwheel, you can extend your exhale a little bit longer, but you can't do that through the nose when you exhale. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You're creating more resistance through the, the muscles with your lips so that you can really extend that exhale. And I use that a lot. I'm a very introverted person and a lot of people want me to talk in front of a lot of groups and I hate it. <laughs> but I do it anyway because I know it's, it's a good thing. It's a very good practice for me. But going up any type of nerves that I notice, I, I start to go, <sighs> right and over exaggerating so people can hear me I start to breathe through my mouth and start sighing and I again this is awareness training but I've noticed and I've trained myself over the years to shut my mouth breathe through my nose and really extend that exhale and that actually helps for nerves for being too excited right so it's like most of us are, are a little bit just a couple notches too high right so that's where most of us do um, and can really benefit from. But the other piece that you're talking about too, it's like, what do you want to get from this? It's not all about relaxation. Mm -hmm. So there's there's periods of time where you're like um, a lull, you're, you're a little bit too loose, there's like, there's grogginess, there's fogginess, and you want to upregulate a little bit, right? It's not all about downregulating. Sometimes we need to upregulate. And so yeah, maybe you wanna focus more on the inhale and mouth breathing, right? Because that can really start to rev us up a little bit. Maybe go for a walk and put the two together. And that's, I think it's all about intention. It's all about balance. And it's all about what do I actually need right now? Because sometimes we don't even know. Sometimes we have no idea. No, we have no clue what our body needs. Most of us are not very aware of what our body actually needs. It takes mm -hmm. a third party to tell them what the body may need before it actually helps. It's what yeah. I do when, help, when I help people move, or I'm like, oh yeah, your hip, your hip doesn't move, this doesn't move. I'm like, oh, I had no clue. I'm like, oh, I check that on everybody. Yeah. You help people find what, they, what their intention needs to be, what they actually need, mm -hmm. as far as maybe they need to upregulate more. Maybe they need, they need more time away. Maybe they need to work on a breathing practice for stress reduction. All different ways of playing in is multifaceted of whatever the intention is for the person is what I'm kind of getting at, is what, yeah. is what you're telling me. Is the people you work with, is it in person in Des Moines or is it virtual? How, how has that worked? Yep, so this next one that's coming up will be in person in Des Moines. It'll be starting September 15th on Thursday nights. Um, I also teach online. Um, I have clients all over the country and the world. Uh, I also offer individual mindfulness and stress reduction sessions. Um, I work part-time um, at an office in the East Village. 
So um, all sorts of different ways. I, I'm, I know some people love being in groups. Other people hate it, mm -hmm. right? Other mm -hmm. people um, want to, like, uh, it, it doesn't work with their schedule. So the one-on-ones might be a better fit for them. Um, I have a client who's super, super busy. He lives in Des Moines, but he really literally doesn't have the time to drive across town. So we meet virtually, right? So it's... Um, uh, it, it's there's there's all different ways to, to meet this practice where it is. Do you still practice yoga, or is that still part of your movement practice? A bit, it, a bit. I, I um, I'm a busy mom, and I, I I'm a um, I'm a, a solopreneur, so I try my best to bring that into my everyday life. I don't have an actual. I see yoga. The, the, the physical practice of yoga is just one of the eight limbs, right? So there's eight other different ways of practicing yoga. And I, um, the physical practice, I, I just, I make sure and, and kind of weave that throughout my day. But there's also yoga of um, being a good person, right? Mm -hmm. and, and really taking good care of yourself and um, non-harming, for instance, right? So it's like, how, how can you bring yoga into how you live? how you live everyday life. And that's kind of how I feel mindfulness is. I, I think I think there's very there they're very similar modalities of, of healing and transform transformation um, that that can really bring about a lot of growth, a lot of change. Tell me how you how have you incorporated any of your training, whether it's mindfulness, whether it's bringing, etc., with your kids? I'm intrigued on yeah of when you can do that when they're actually actually will they actually listen to their mom and do what you ask them to do? Have you tried with your kids? How has oh, that yeah. worked? Oh yeah, I've tried for the last what seven eight years now, and I'm mom first. Yep, I'm not I'm not the professional, and so um, they, I get a lot of eye roll sometimes mm -hmm. because they think I'm a little weird, but. Um, it has actually really improved. My daughter has anxiety, and so we, we do a lot of breathing, and that's really helped her through some panic attacks. Um, I think a lot of it is not just, here, let me teach you something, right? Because when I do that, they go, oh, I think mm -hmm. one more thing. <laughs> it's more about being more attuned to them. If you've ever noticed with your kids, it's like they... I My main motivation for, for mindfulness practice is really being present for my life right now because I'm very much a forward-thinking person I'm a lot of times that's my default has been the next thing what's the next thing where do I need to be what has to be done all the doing but when I'm with my kids I'm really with them right and I spend formal time really just being just being right I know it sounds cliche but it's true right we we go into that future of and a lot of times we tend to live there so what I've been noticing is I don't want to push it on them because you know what happens when parents pitch stuff on their kids? They're like, heck no, I'm not doing that. So it's very invitational. It's not like you will do this. It's like, hey, do you want to try this? Like it might help with how stressed you are with, I have a teenager now, so it's like hmm. how, how stressed you are with getting this assignment done. You know, like why don't we just take a couple breaths? And um, I, I think it's really about training myself to be in my own body, in my own experience with them through whether they're talking about Fortnite or their friends or you know someone they think is cute. It's like I'm paying attention for that, for the little stuff, so that they know that mom's gonna be there for when the big stuff happens too, right? So it's it's I try my best to do here's a technique, here's a technique. 
And I'm hoping that even though there's eye rolls, even though that they go, whatever, mom, there's one more thing that she's trying to make me do. It's like, okay, yeah. Eventually, once they realize, maybe mom does know a little a little bit. Maybe there is something. So I'm hoping that there's these seeds, right? These little seeds that I'll be planting for them. They'll probably be a grown adult by the time that actually I happens. Know, right? <laughs> exactly. But it is so true. They really just want your attention. But yeah, that managing that role of mom versus teacher versus, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always met with an eye roll. Like yep. you're always mom first. And exactly. Which that, is good. That's where I want to be. It, it, it really is. Yeah. Let's, let's recap a few things. I have some top three things that you picked up on. Some things that I can definitely resonate is being intentional with something thing not just wasting time because that's something you're supposed to do like have an intention and a purpose behind what you're trying to do being present certainly bringing awareness to your needs whatever that is like you um and the top three things i heard from you as far as what people can implement of like what's the lowest hanging fruit it sounds like nose breathing just because it's so much more efficient like just try to breathe with your nose try not to breathe with your mouth and see how difficult it is because i think the average person will find that very difficult because that's not what they ever do the tongue on the roof of the mouth i i did not expect you to go there from yeah tmj position but that makes perfect sense of no one ever knows that of just their resting mouth position they're usually stress anxiety jaw clenched tightness all the time and then the third one you mentioned, which is maybe a little harder for people to resonate with, but taking a long exhale. Mm-hmm. We never really fully exhale all of the air out of our lungs, mm-hmm. and that has some benefits as well. Right. Is that the top three things? Did I catch I those? I think you hit the nail on the head. You're a good listener. Good job. <laughs> um, you have an eight-week program coming up in this fall in September, you told me? Mm-hmm. September 15th on Thursdays. Should anyone be interested in joining that, what is the best way for them to get into contact with you? Sure. So the, the my website is fromwithinwellness.com and the MBSR program is would just be slash MBSR, from within wellness slash MBSR. That has all sorts of information and where you can register to. I'll also put that in any show links and we'll post that out when we post this episode. Thank you. But Allison, thanks for joining the Rev Health Radio Podcast. This is a deep dive on breathing. Yes. I said I wanted to do a breathing deep dive because I'll have an entry level of what I use breathing for. Certainly it's not the primary mode of what I teach people. Sure. But this was really fun. I, I, I want your honest feedback right now because you came in with a notepad super nervous <laughs> in case you forgot something. You've been training for seven years doing this and you thought you were going to forget it. Yep, I did. A podcast was, nec- this was not hard. No, this it is, wasn't. This is a conversation. <laughs> it's super easy. I did not look at my notes one time. I'm pretty proud of myself. I am also. Well, I think that has a lot to do with you too. Uh, well, sure. yeah. Having, having when, when you start a new skill of which podcasting is a skill of going back and forth, trying not to talk over someone, thinking of an answer while another person's talking, maybe breathing through the nose so you're not exhausted (laughs) during it, is a skill to learn. For sure. But I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Anyone listening, thanks for listening to the Ref Health Radio podcast, and we will catch you next episode. Hey, real quick before you go, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to share it with others, please take a screenshot and share it to your story on Facebook or Instagram. And make sure to tag Rev Health and Wellness. To stay up to date on all of our latest episodes, be sure to follow Rev Health and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram.